Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we continue looking through Titus. Uh, before we do that, a couple things. First of all, John and Caitlin, would you stand? I saw you a little early. There they are, right there. All right, thank you. You may be seated. Uh, John and Caitlin have uh, fulfilled the requirements of membership. They've gone to membership class, uh, saved and baptized. Do we have a motion to accept them into our membership? All right, there, second. All right, all in favor signify so by saying aye. All right, welcome. Yeah. So next week we have a, a special week. I hope every week is a special week. But as we celebrate Thanksgiving, I know many people travel on Thanksgiving weekend and uh, see family and friends, and that's a, a neat thing. Uh, but obviously there are still many people that will be here, and we try to have something that we can celebrate together. So we have our chili cook-off uh, we're going to have several things going on in the services next week. It's a communion week, and so we'll be celebrating communion. We also have baptisms next week and uh, special Thanksgiving service as we reflect on all that God has done for us. But after second service, we have a chili cook-off. If you're newer to the church, you may not be familiar with it. I think this is the fourth or fifth uh, year of our chili cook-off. We've got an amazing trophy to the winner, and uh, so we'd love to see you at the chili cook-off. Now, I, I've been working on my secret formula, and I told you a couple weeks ago I, I might share a little bit, but I don't want to share too much. Uh, if you follow football, the University of Michigan, you know, they're stealing signs and, you know, cheating to get ahead, and so I was worried if I showed you too much, I'd you'd be tempted to steal my thoughts and ideas and my special recipe, but I thought, you know, I need to show a little bit. So I'll show you. I've been working on canning my special chili, and I've got a picture of it up here. And uh, there are no artificial ingredients in my chili, it says right there. No, I am not going to be in the competition, and I'm not going to be a judge, but you are going to be a judge if you haven't been there. So, uh, you know, as Christians, we're not supposed to judge, but next Sunday, everybody uh, gets the opportunity to judge uh, the best chili. And by the way, I, uh, I try to eat quite a bit of it during the chili cook-off, and I have not found any that's been as bad as Hormel, and I like Hormel, but, uh, but we go way and above beyond the level of Hormel. So anyway, I hope that you'll be here uh, next Sunday, and so please, if you would like to join the competition, uh, sign up out in the foyer. Also, if you say, you know, I've got so many trophies in my house already, and I'd, I'm sure I'd win, but I just can't have another trophy, you can just bring chili if you don't want to be in the competition, or we have needs for sides and, and other things, and uh, so if you go out there into the foyer, you can see some of the things that are needed, and uh, we'd love to have you join us. We'll have a, an enjoyable time as we uh, celebrate Thanksgiving today, uh, together, as we worship together, and and uh, celebrate communion and baptism together and then uh, just have some enjoyable time as we have chili and the fixings. So uh, hope that you will be here next Sunday to enjoy that with us. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, 
I pray that you would uh, just encourage us in Jesus Christ. Help us to recognize that you are our hope, and you are our rock, you are our foundation. And Lord, as Paul challenges Titus and us uh, through his letter to Titus this morning, I pray that you would just uh, encourage us to follow you and to be more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been looking at the book of Titus. It was a letter by a guy named Paul. He was an apostle. He wrote this letter to a a young pastor named Titus who oversaw a group of churches on the island of Crete. It's an island in the Mediterranean Sea. And so Paul was encouraging Titus and the people there on Crete to uh, live a different life. He gave them a blueprint for what the church should look like. And over the last several weeks, we've been looking at at some of the different things that need to be in the church and things they need to be aware of in the church. And if you've been following our little uh, video to begin, talking about how a Christian should stand out in the world, how we as Christians should live in a non-Christian world. And Paul was writing to a group of people that that faced adversity. They lived in a culture that was anti-Christian. There was persecution going on. People were being thrown in prison and even killed or martyred for the faith. And so we see that Paul was writing to encourage them in many things, but one of the things that he was encouraging them to do was to stand out in the world. And a strong church will stand out in the world, and we see that in the first verses of chapter 3. Now, it was easy for them, and it's easy for us, to strive to blend in to just sort of blend into our surroundings. We don't want to stick out. We don't want to cause a scene. But Paul was saying, listen, you should be different. There's a term. It's called practical atheism. And that sounds pretty harsh, but but the idea is, you know, I'm just going to live my life. I've, I've put my faith in Christ I've asked him to forgive my sins, but I'm just going to blend in. And so day to day, I'm living as if Jesus Christ is not a real part of my life. Now, if there's something that comes up, I maybe have a a special need, there's a circumstance, I may call out to him. But really, in my day to day living, my relationship with Christ isn't obvious. And so they were struggling with that, also a moral relativism. My morals based on my circumstances rather than the truth of God. And so Paul was challenging them. And in that, Paul is challenging us to live lives that stand out in the world. Jesus Christ needs to be the center of everything I do, not just on Sunday morning, but in every aspect of my life, in every situation. So Paul was challenging them to stand out in various relationships. 
Let's look at some of the different relationships that, that Paul challenged them to live differently in. The first one was the relationship with authorities. Notice, notice what it says in, in verse 1. It says this, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. Our authorities, authorities in our lives, whether it be in our workplace, in the government, wherever it is, the authorities that we have, we're to be subject to them. And it's the idea, and it involves an attitude and conduct in relationship to our authorities. Now, a reason that we often give to not respect our authorities is we, we make a statement like this, that, well, they really don't deserve it. So therefore, I'm not going to give them what they don't deserve. Now, I want to challenge you to step back into the culture in which Paul was giving this command. And he wrote the command. There was a guy named Nero who was head of the Roman Empire. And, and uh, throughout that first century, there were several Caesars, Nero being one of them at that time. But uh, they weren't known necessarily as good guys. In fact, Chuck Swindoll, who was writing on this passage here in Titus 3, he shared a description of Nero says, Nero was thoroughly pagan, morally bankrupt, despotic, cruel, oppressive, murderous, unjust, sexually immoral, and sadistic. <laughs> Quite a list of character traits. But we want to shine as lights in the darkness, and, and to do so, we must live lives of integrity and grace. And it is hard no matter where a person is on the political spectrum, they're going to find authorities in their lives that they don't agree with. And when we, when we look at, at our leaders, we can see their flaws and we can question their decisions. But Paul challenges us this. He challenges us to be subject to the authorities in our lives. Now, I believe there's only one time when we have the right to disobey. And that's when obeying that human authority, whatever that authority is, causes me to disobey God. At that point, I'm going to choose to obey God rather than that human authority. But we're called to respect our authorities. And, and I'm reminded of Daniel chapter 4. And really you see it all through the book of Daniel. But Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken from Israel. The, the Babylonians had conquered the world. And, and they, were, along with other young people from, from Israel and other lands that were conquered by the Babylonians, were brought into the city, the capital city of Babylon. And they were going to be trained in leadership and other things and, and poor, and they were just immersed into the Babylonian culture, which was a very ungodly culture. And so we see here that, that Daniel 
had a relationship with Nebuchadnezzar, and God, in his amazing work, allowed Daniel and his three friends to have an impact in that wicked empire. But Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, very powerful man, the most powerful man in the world. And Nebuchadnezzar recognized that. And he was very proud of his power. And so we find in Daniel chapter 4 that, that God brings some humility to Nebuchadnezzar's life. And, and so God said, all right, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and, and Daniel came to interpret what was going on. And basically God was saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to recognize that you are only where you're at because I've allowed it. And twice in this interchange between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel makes a statement like this. He said, God is in control of the affairs of men and puts over them whoever he chooses or allows. In other words, from that aspect, Nebuchadnezzar, you're only where you are at because of God. It's not because of Nebuchadnezzar, it's because of God. But when I recognize that God has put authorities in my life, some I agree with, some I disagree with, I need to recognize that God has allowed them that position. And no matter how frustrated I may be with the decisions and the direction that they take us, I am called to honor those authorities and to be subject to them. And we say, well, but the only way to, uh, to have a fight with a pig is to get into the mud. And so I'm going to do what they do. You know, if they treat, if they're unfair, I'm going to be unfair because that's the only way that, that I can make my point heard and to have victory. Guess what? God says no. God says that yeah, we may disagree and we need to stand for truth, but we do it with grace. And showing honor to the person and the position that God has allowed to be there, whether we agree or disagree. And as Christians, we can stand out when we stand for truth and grace. Now, there's another other end of the spectrum that is wrong also where I've heard so many Christians, when they look at what's going on, they just throw their hands up and say, I'm out, I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to sort of go back into this shell. And the church and individual Christians, we may think that we're just going to get into this little holy huddle. God doesn't call us to do that either. God calls us to be light. God calls us to stand for truth and to do it with grace. And so both ends of that spectrum are incorrect. And so Paul here in Titus 3 is saying, listen, you need to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey. And then he says to be ready for every good work. We need to shine as lights in the darkness. 
as we live lives of integrity and grace. And that leads us really the end of verse 1 is a transition into it in verse, chapter, in verse 2 of chapter 3, our relationship with others. Verse, end, verse 1 ends, be ready for every good work. And then verse 2 says, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Be ready for every good work. We need to be watching for opportunity to encourage and help others. We need to, to recognize those opportunities to show love and to serve. So speaking evil of no one in verse 2, being peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now, this kindness is not just a kindness in response to kindness toward us. You notice the end of, end of verse 2, all humility to all men. And if you've been here, you know one of my corny little sayings I like to use is all means all, that's all all means, right? And you notice he uses it twice. All humility, all men. Not just that person that is that great boss or that great friend or that wonderful neighbor, but the one that's the boss that is hard to work for or the, or the friend that leaves you in the midst of the heart hard time or the neighbor that's just annoying you think they stay up late at night just making plans on how they can make your life miserable we need to show humility toward them being peaceable and gentle why is humility in there i mean i understand the peaceable the gentle the not speaking evil of them why is humility thrown in here because humility is the foundation on which those others can be fulfilled. I can show peace to a person who is not peaceable toward me when I am humble, when I put others before myself. But if I'm not humble, there's no chance that I will do that because I am so busy protecting myself, protecting my good, protecting what I want. All humility to all men. It's that foundation required to loving our neighbor. And Jesus Christ spoke a radical gospel. Think about what he has asked us to do. Now, obviously, it's, it's radical. The gospel's radical in that salvation isn't because of what I do. It's because of what God has done for me. And we're going to see that here in just a few minutes. That's radical. It's nothing I earn it's something that's given to me freely at great sacrifice on God's behalf. But it's radical in what he calls us to do. He told us that we're to love our enemies. We'll stand out in the world when we love our enemies because the natural man says you need to fight that person that's against you. By the way, I, I just, uh, I'll make this little statement. You see, the Bobcats did much better job of loving your enemies yesterday than the Grizzlies did. Just, I had to get that out there, sorry. All right, they were kind and gentle and humble. But we see that we need to love our enemies, and, and the world says, no, fight for what's yours. 
We need to recognize that God says, pray for those who use you, despitefully use you. That antagonist in the workplace, we need to pray for them. We need to love them. We need to respond with grace and mercy when they treat us with hurtful actions. Our relationship with others, we should demonstrate God's grace toward us as we demonstrate grace and love towards others. But when I'm focused on myself, I will respond with evil because I will fight back. But when I respond with humility, I will put the focus on the other people and I can respond with grace and so I can truly love my enemy. And then he talks about our relationship with our past in verse 3. It says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Paul reminds us that we shouldn't be like we were. He reminds us of life before Christ, B.C. You see, before Christ, we had all of those natural desires. Now, we still fight those desires daily in our lives, but we should live a different life because of what Jesus Christ has done. The godly character that we were challenged to live out in verses 1 and 2 is a stark contrast to to the character of that person without Christ described in verse 3. You see, in verse 1 and 2, we're we're called to be sensible. But in verse 3, before Christ, I was foolish. Now I'm subject to rulers as I put myself under their authority before I was disobedient. Now I'm prepared for good deeds before I was deceived and enslaved by lust. Now I should be peaceable, gentle, and kind while before I was hateful. We see these characteristics that should radically change when we have a radical salvation. When God has come into our lives and changed us, we need to live a different life. And we should stand out from the world. And we're different because of our relationship with God. Notice what it says in verses 4 through 7. It says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, you notice in the beginning of verse 4, it begins with the word but. That's a transitional conjunction. It changes the direction. And we see that, that but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Now, that's going back and making that contrast with verse 3. We had all of these things in our lives that separated us from God, but God did this. But God in his kindness and love provided salvation for us. And we need to recognize that God saved us not because we are good, but because he is good. 
Notice the amazing aspects of salvation that are found in these verses. And we see them just running as a stream throughout this, these uh, verses 4 through 7. We're saved, we see there in verse 4, because of God's kindness and because of God's love. In verse 5, we're saved because of God's mercy. It says, according to his mercy, he saved us. We see in, in verses 5 and 6 that we're saved from the power and penalty of sin, saved into God's family as we receive the benefits of being a family member. We have an inheritance. Paul in 1 Corinthians called it an inheritance which is incorruptible and undefiled. In, in human inheritances, we may give or receive uh, financially or property, whatever it is that we receive as an inheritance, but that inheritance will eventually fade away. But the inheritance that we receive in God is an eternal inheritance. And by the way, it's an inheritance, as the old chorus said, comes from the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son, gives us an opportunity to be accepted into the family of God and to be considered his children, to have our sins forgiven, the penalty wiped away, and our eternal destiny set in Christ. And we can say, that's my dad of God. What an amazing adoption that takes place. Not only that, as we're given a new birth and a new life, we're saved because of Christ's sacrifice. We're saved because of his grace. We see that nothing that we can do will bring salvation and hope. It's only because of God's work, his kindness, his love, his mercy, his sacrifice, his grace. It says, not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. He uses the terms there, mercy and grace. Think about a time where you say, I need to ask for mercy. Remember, we used to, as kids, we used to play the game where you take and you try to basically break each other's wrists, and when one had to say mercy, you guys never did that, did you? And I was dumb enough to do it with my brother, who was four and a half years older and a lot bigger than me, and I would still do it. <laughs> dumb. It's, uh, you should learn from history, but I didn't. But anyway, mercy, God's mercy, calling out for something we don't deserve, grace, unmerited favor. And God has provided salvation, not because of what I have done, but because of what he has done for me. Not because I am good, but because he is good. And then Paul closes with a reminder Verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to, you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Notice a couple things here in verse 8. It says, this is a faithful saying. In other words, it is true. It's based upon the word of God 
the very words of God himself who cannot lie, who cannot change. And Paul is saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, Titus, continually remind the people. It's interesting in verse 1, he begins by saying, remind them. And in verse 8, he closes the section by saying, affirm constantly, continually remind them. What is he reminding them of these things, the good works that they're to do because of their relationship with God, the good things that they're to do to stand out in a world that needs to see the light and love of Jesus Christ? If you remember back at the very beginning of the study of of Titus, quite a few weeks ago, as we began chapter 1, one of the things we mentioned was godliness or godly deeds or good deeds, phrases and words that are used many times throughout this short letter. Paul was saying throughout the letter in relationship to one another within the church and in relationship to the people around them in the world, we need to be living a godly life. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are here and you say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, your life should be different. What difference has God made in your daily living? And Paul was saying, listen, Titus, tell them over and over and over again. Remind yourself and the people constantly that you are to maintain good works. And then in the last words, these things are good and profitable to men. It's profitable to those people as they see your life. As they see the grace and love that you demonstrate as a reflection of God's grace and love toward you. Their faith was to prompt action. See, Paul was telling them that grace received becomes grace given. Titus and the churches there on the island of Crete faced a very difficult task, the task of standing strong in the world. But it was a task that was vital for their influence and impact in the world around them. We need to remember a couple things. We remember only authenticity and integrity can win a hearing. And we need to remember that you cannot convince anyone of a truth that you are not living. If someone in this room here got up right now, and and I'm not suggesting you do it, by the way, but yelled fire and then sat back down and put their feet up, you'd probably say, yeah, I don't think I'm going to believe what they're saying. It sure doesn't seem to have an impact on their life. I don't think I'll let it be an impact on mine. But when people see our lives different because of Jesus Christ, It allows us the opportunity to not only show Christ's love, but we can also share Christ's love. And I want to challenge you in a couple ways. First one is this. 
Each one, examine your relationship with God. Are you attempting to earn your salvation, your relationship? Verse 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. In other words, not of anything that we can do. If you're here this morning or you're watching online and you say, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. The Bible says that's wrong. And you say, but God loves me. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I'm going to try to do some good things. And, and when I get to the pearly gates and God looks at me and he says, you know, I know you tried real hard. Come on in. You have to recognize God's a holy God. And God cannot stand sin. But he loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to pay for your sin and my sin. And he offers it as a free gift. But the only way that you can enjoy the gift is to accept it. And God calls you to accept that gift. My wife and I were in the grocery store yesterday, and, and we talked to a lady just briefly there at the counter, and, and she used a couple very church words. And uh, it's the first time I've ever, that I remember, uh, ever having someone that, as I'm, they're checking me out, it says, hallelujah. And they didn't know who, or she didn't know who we were. And, and so, but, you know, I, Irene and I looked at each other and said, so, are you a Christian? And her response caught me off guard. She said, well, you know, I'm... Uh, I believe that, that all religions have some good things, and, and I'm working to be pretty good. That wasn't the answer I expected after a hallelujah, after our uh, whatever we were buying. Uh, butter, I think, went through the checkout. Hmm. But then in a about... 30 to 45 second period, we heard some very sad statements. The first statement was, yeah, you know, I, I try to be a pretty good person, and, but all religions, you know, point to God. So I don't really focus on anyone. I just try to do well. And then the second one leads at me to the second part, and I'm just going to sort of intertwine them too. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be someone who draws people to Christ, not away from them. Because she continued on, and because we said, "Well, we're, you know, we're Christians," and and she said, "Well, you know, growing up, I had a really bad experience in the church." And and she didn't go into details, but basically. She didn't feel that the church was loving or kind or full of grace. 
So she wanted to walk away from all of that hypocrisy. And now again, maybe it was something that she misinterpreted. I, I don't know. But I do know oftentimes the church can push people away from Christ and Christians can push people away from Christ in the way that they act, the attitudes they have. And there were people, fortunately, we were there and we were the only people in that line for a minute, but then some more people were coming and obviously she was needed to get on with the next group. And, and all we could say is, well, you know, Jesus Christ is not like that and not all Christians are like that. And hopefully we planted a little seed But as Christians, we have a responsibility to demonstrate the grace that was shown to us into the lives of the people around us, whether they be our authorities, whether they be our neighbors, whoever we come in contact with. Paul said, listen, as Christians, you're to be different. Now, I, I want to challenge you in two ways. First of all, if you're here this morning or you're watching online and, and you're striving to make it to heaven by doing good, you're never going to make the standard that God calls for. The standard is perfection. And none of us will make that standard. But God... In his mercy, sent his son, Jesus Christ. So if you're trying to make it on your own, you're not going to make it. You're going to fail. But God provided a way in Romans 5, 8, it said, but God commended his love to us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ gave his life, that perfect sacrifice for you to pay the penalty of your sin. So if you're here today and you have never come to a place in your life where you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, today could be the day where you say, all right, God, I've tried it on my own and I know I'm a sinner. Admit your sin. Lord, I believe that you have gave your life for me. I confess my sin and I put my faith and trust in you. God says that he will forgive your sin. He, the ultimate judge, will declare not guilty. So if that's your situation today, ask him to forgive your sins, to be your savior. And if you do that, I'd love to, or if you have questions, I'd love to, after the service, to talk with you to share more about what it means to have a journey with Christ. The hope of salvation and a life with Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, 
it's a hard thing to admit, but in many ways I'm a practical atheist. Most of my life is just lived on my own without any God influence. Yeah, I've trusted him as Savior. Yeah, I, I, you know, I even read my Bible. I try to pray some, and, and those are obviously good things. But there's areas of my life that I'm not letting him control. Would you make a commitment to God to let him work in those areas in your life? Would you make a commitment and say, all right, God, I am going to make sure that I'm different because of you. You're the center of everything in my life, and I'm going to live out my life in response to your grace and love in my life. And so I'm going to ask you to uh, take a homework assignment home for this Thanksgiving week as we're thankful for all God has done for us. I want you to find a specific way in which you can demonstrate and show God's grace and love to someone around you. Now, it can be someone that's close to you, but maybe it's someone that's really hard. Don't elbow the person next to you. But someone, maybe, you know, someone at work or at school that, that's that antagonist. Find a way that you can show God's love and grace in their lives. Because to be a strong church, to be a strong follower of Christ, we must live differently in the world. And so it needs to be something specific. Don't just say, I'll try to be kind this week. No. What's a specific action I'm going to take to demonstrate that? And then just allow Jesus Christ to work in and through you to impact the world around you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your love. I pray that you would help us to recognize all that we have in you. And Lord, as we do that, Lord, to live lives that are different because of your work in our life. Lord, just like the people on Crete, we have a responsibility of being salt and light in our world. And help us to do that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.